Welcome to Harvest Amarillo Podcast. We're excited you have chosen to listen in today. May God encourage you through this message to live a life of value, of fullness, and fruitfulness for His kingdom. I'm excited about what God's impressed upon my heart for you this morning. As we continue through the divine embrace, this is part four. Now, as we go into this, last week, I hope you didn't miss CRF. A Christian Relief Fund, because one of the things that Milton brought before us is a man who, who just listened to the call of God on his life, and as he listened to the call of God on his life, God moved him into the ministry where he could prosper the kingdom of God. I hope that you saw that. This man, he's, he's all over the world providing orphanages and other things for children who are less fortunate who, who may not get a meal, uh, maybe one meal a day at most, and, and he's had the opportunity. And what that is is what we're going to be talking about today. It is an opportunity to walk, to walk out our Christian faith. Now, over the past few weeks, let me just catch up. Our first week of the Divine Embrace, we talked about remember, and through our remembering, right, it brings us to remember. In other words, our, our, our bodies and the body of Christ Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me because in remembrance of him is where we find wholeness. All of us, when we were created, we were created in the image of our God. That's what the scriptures tell us. Now, here's the cool thing. A a creator and the created, what is God always doing? He wants these two to come together. We should resemble, right, our creator and as we remember him that's what happens we remember the words of jesus and where he's called us and what he's called us to so a, a couple of things that we talked about we talked about the prodigal and as the prodigal were away he began to eat the pods with the pigs or those looked good to him and then he remembered oh, didn't i have it better wouldn't i have it better off if i just went back to my father's home right he remembered and in doing so he was remembered Right, And so we talked about that. We talked about Revelation, the church at Ephesus. Remember the height in which you have fallen. A time to, to, to remember what God has done in us and for us. The second week of the divine embrace, we talked about how he positioned us in the book of Ephesians. The apostle Paul, he writes this from prison. And as he writes this, what he does is, is he, he writes it to this church, but he says, now I want you to see a couple of things. Before we did anything, God was at work for us. He was at work for us, and he calls us to sit first before we do anything else. You see, I had a chair up here that day, and I sat down in that chair, and I said, where's my weight? Fortunately, it's not on my feet. I got a little heavier over the years, you know what I mean? But the weight was distributed on the chair. As we sit with God, our weight distributes upon Him. And He begins to pour in to us. So He positioned us first to sit. And to experience His love is to sit with Him and see what all He has done. Before we ever did anything, God was at work. He chose us. He adopted us. He lavishly loves us. He takes pleasure in us. He made us alive. And He has seated us in the heavenly places before we did anything other than choose him, other than our belief in him. This is, this is what he's done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? The third week of the divine embrace, we talked about standing. Now, this is out of order because when you read the book of Ephesians, what you'll find out is that really uh, the way the apostle Paul writes it is he writes it where first we sit and then we walk and then we stand. 
But because of Milton coming in and on Orphan Sunday and some other things, I rearranged this. I wasn't changing the Word of God. It's very important that you see how the Apostle Paul wrote this. He talks about first we sit and then we actually walk before we stand. And what he means by this is that as we walk out our faith in the Lord, there are going to be times when the fiery darts of the devil... That's always difficult for me to say. You know, I even practiced that before I got up here this morning. Still have trouble with it. But, but as we walk out our faith, what's going to happen? Our faith is going to be challenged. And it's then that we have to learn to stand. Take a stand. But we, we, we changed the order a little bit just based upon what we had scheduled. But just remember this. The, the, the correct order is actually walking and then learning to take a stand through our walk. As we walk throughout this life, our faith should grow deeper and we should become stronger. I, I shared this maybe some years ago about living in Arizona. And while I was in Arizona, Zona, there was a dome that they built. And within this dome, it was supposed to, to be self-sufficient. So they could grow their own plants, and some people volunteered to live in there, this ecosystem of itself. And uh, what they found were, because the trees had no resistance to wind, eventually when the trees became so, so tall, it was called a biodome. Matter of fact, the biodome 2, I believe, is what it was called. And the trees began to fall over because there was no resistance you see, as we walk out our faith, we're going we're gonna to come into some resistance, if you will. But our faith should grow stronger. Our roots should go deeper so that when the time comes to take a stand, we know who and whose we are, right? And so then uh, the third week we talked about, of course, the stand and, and gave the example of the chair. When I sit, something else holds my weight. But then when we stand, right, we're, we're called to stand in Christ Jesus. And then finally today, we're going to talk about this walk. All right, what does the walk look like in our life? Because many of us are trying to discern the call in our life. God, what have you called me to? Now, here's what God has called you to. He has called you to Him. It's the first thing we've got to learn. The first voice that we hear that brings us to our, our centrality is the voice of our Master, the voice of our Creator, the one who created us. And as his voice goes out and he calls us, what happens then, we respond to that voice. So he first calls his sheep, know what? His voice, his voice. So he's called us. And in that call, there becomes a walk. There becomes a walk. There was a man years ago that uh, I took church in, in Lubbock and, and I would pull in in the mornings early and there would be a green Ford Ranger pickup parked over in the corner of our parking lot. Now at that time we only had one parking lot. Eventually we built the rest of the parking lot but at this time we just had a little tiny parking lot and he would park over in the side of that parking lot and I would see him and, and I would come in and I, I, I wouldn't check on him or anything. I'd just come around, unlock the church, go to my office and, and do whatever I was doing for the day. But I noticed he was there every day and then I noticed another little car would park sometimes out there and and so finally one day I, I pulled in just to say hey guys what are y'all doing and they rolled their windows down and I mean smoke like boiled out of the car you know or out of the pickup the Ford Ranger and they're like you know we're drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette and talking about ministry 
I said, okay, well, you know, I'd like to talk to you about ministry, uh, you know, and some things you, you've got going on. And, and uh, they laughed and everything. And the guy actually gave me a keychain at that time that had a shark on it. And he said, here, Pastor, I want to give you something, you know. So he gives me this little keychain that has a shark on it. And I think, wow, okay, thank you. You know, just trying to be nice. I'm a pastor. And, of course, uh, they were both actually going to church there. And, and uh, um, so I got to visiting, and, and one day he said, I want to set up a, an appointment with you, Pastor. And I said, sure. And so he began to set up these appointments with me. And it was funny because he would get, get there about 15 minutes prior to our appointment, and he would sit out in his Ford Ranger pickup and smoke I don't know how many cigarettes to the point where he opened the door and it would just boil out, and then he'd come to my office, and you know what that is, right? And, and it was interesting because he would always tell me, he would say, Curtis, I, I want to one day do something great and magnificent for the Lord. And I, I'm just trying, I'm trying, but until I put these cigarettes down, I just don't feel like God's going to use me. And I said, you know, what you've got to understand, Art, is that it doesn't matter about the cigarettes. It matters about you sitting with God to hear what he's called you to. And it sounds to me like he's already called you to something. And, and he, he began to say, yeah, I mean, I have a heart, you know, Curtis, I, I wish you'd come over to my house. And so I climbed in that pickup, drove over to his house, and he lived in a little bitty house, he and his wife. And he took me in, and there were sharks everywhere. I'm talking on the shelf. He had every type of shark. This man was so into sharks. But what blew me away is we walked into his garage, and his garage was packed full of all kinds of furniture. I mean, just packed full all the way to where when you walked outside of his garage, on the driveway there, it had couches, it had chairs, it had, it had lamps, it had all kinds of stuff. And I said, what are you doing with all this? And he said, you know, on Saturdays, that's what me and this other guy do is we go around to garage sales and whatever they don't sell, we just bring it here to my house and we find a place for it because we believe that someone needs it. And I said, well, man, how can we partner with you? That's your walk. You're called to people. You're, you're called to be the hand of God. Regardless of what your life looks like, why don't we trust that as you begin to walk this out, God will be faithful if you want him to take the cigarettes out of your life. God is going to be faithful to that. Eventually, I mean, he helps so many of the un underprivileged. I mean, from storing these sofas, the lights, the chairs. I mean, developing relationships in, in the, some of the roughest areas of town. One of the men that, that just passed away two weeks ago is a man that Art led to the Lord that we actually, as a church, went over and put a floor in this man's house because he had no floor. Art had met him. This man had become the head greeter of our church. And Art was amazing. As he put his faith into action, here's what was cool. One day he came forward to pray over those cigarettes. And he said, I really feel like today's the day. We prayed over Art and he never picked up another cigarette. Incredible man of God. See, that's what walking out our faith is. It's sitting with Christ until we can stand and walk on our own, trusting that God has prepared us for such a time as this. 
Remember, whether we walk or stand, it all comes from a place first of rest. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. God created. He created man on the sixth. Man's first day was on the seventh. A day of rest to sit and relish in who our Father truly is. So today I pulled out some scriptures from Ephesians talking about walking. You can see them up here on the screens. I therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, implore you to walk. In a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, when we start right there, what happens is many of you disqualify yourselves from the walk. Here's why. Because it says worthy of the calling in which you've been called. So Art had somewhat disqualified himself. All these things had been stored because he knew he was called. But when he began to walk that out, then God used him mightily. You see, the, the calling in which you have been called, we've got to stand up and be willing to go, be willing to hear the Lord and to activate our faith. God is faithful. He goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance within them, because of the hardness of their heart. Ephesians four seventeen through 19. And then as you go to Ephesians 5, 2, he says, and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Didn't need to know that as we walk out our faith, it's a fragrant aroma to our heavenly father. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, walk as children of the light, proving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. See, eight times in the book of Ephesians, the word walk is used. The word, this is what it means in the Greek. It means to order one's behavior paul goes on you know to say to timothy he says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness you see to order one's behavior is to discipline ourselves, not only to hear the lord but to walk out what he's called us to that takes discipline it, it, it takes discipline to say yes lord it took discipline for Art to, to, to pull into the parking lot every morning and to pray and to think of this great ministry that God was going to do. It takes discipline to spend time with the Lord, to order one's behavior. See, I love the thought of sitting in Christ, but walking it out can be very difficult. So many people, so many theologies, and even churches today don't like to order one's behavior. We don't like to talk about that. I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, you know, I don't feel like I'm the moral police. I'm not supposed to tell people how to live their life. I'm not supposed to tell people what to do. I'm not supposed to say right or wrong. I'm not supposed to make a decision or discernment on that. What do you do with the scripture? I mean, I sat with a young man just a couple of weeks ago who told me that his church was very different. We're not the type of church that tells people how they should live, much less tells them what to do. I don't like people telling me what to do. It's hard to order one's behavior. Today is Veterans Day. And one of the things you learn as you go into the military is it's not about you. And if you think it is about you, we can fix that. Mm -hmm. that's that's just as a matter of fact they're going to tell you how to order your behavior 
Let's just do this this morning. Um, Do we have any Air Force vets in here this morning? Okay. All right. Here's one. Let me ask you this question then. Um, Do we have any Navy vets? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, guys. That's just, uh, yeah, yeah. Coast Guard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Coast Guard is one that sometimes is forgotten about. I, I don't hear much about the Coast Guard, but we live in West Texas. I mean, what's a, it's like, no, what's Navy to us, right? We're a long ways from needing a boat. But, uh, and then, of course, we got the Marines. And I know we got, yes. And then let's go ahead and say it. Let's go ahead and say Army. Is there, are there some Army in here? Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right, here we go. Thank you, men. I want to thank you, men. And there are some women as well. Thank you for ordering your behavior for the sake of a greater vision. Thank you. You know, as as you joined up and as, as you served in the military, this is what you learned. Hey, it's not about me. It's about us. And it's about us accomplishing a vision, a goal for something greater than ourselves. This is where God wants us to be with Him and His mission to learn to order our behavior. See, Art wanted to order his behavior. The problem was he didn't have the power within himself to do it. It had to be a power greater. And when he yielded, he could hear the call. But he he said, hey, I want this for me. I want to win this battle going on within me. And when he learned to sit and, and allow God to say, hey, not only did I give you that vision art, I'm about to give you the power to overcome any temptation, any situation in your life so that that vision can be accomplished. But you've got to learn to yield. You see, the post-Christian culture and sometimes the post-Christian church simply wants just the grace to be saved without making a difference in their behavior. There is no holiness in this. We are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. See, we live in a time that, that often says there is no absolute truth. You go to a university today, and you'll probably hear this. There's no absolute truth, so there's no ordering of behavior. So we can live wildly. Well, let's just stop right there and talk about wildly for a moment. You've got to be comparing that to something. We can do what we want with what we have as compared to who? Those who can't. You see, there's always a centrality that somewhat we come back to. There's always an order. God is not the God of chaos. He is the God of what? Order. There is a true north. There is an absolute truth, church. And in order for us to order our behavior, we have to first believe in the absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus goes before Pilate. In John chapter 18, there's a conversation here. And Jesus basically says, he who is with me is on the right side of truth. He who is with me, he who believes in me. You see, our challenge today is is this challenge of autonomy, that, that absolute truth is whatever we think, whatever we believe, however we choose to live our life. It's no one else's business. 
even we as Christians have, have no business being in other people's business. You've probably heard that, that said. And, and if we judge in the wrong way, if we're anything other than fruit inspectors, if we don't have a pure heart, Jesus has something to say about that. I'm with you. But truth for his body is alive and well, and it sets our moral compass. It orders our behavior. See, autonomy, the Greek word there is auto-self, meaning self, nomos, which means law. It means I'm going to govern myself. And when that happens, we no longer sit with the Lord because we believe in our own strength instead of His strength to be our overcomer as we walk out our faith. See, Paul is giving a huge warning here. A huge warning. Don't become callous like the Gentiles, having given themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every, of every kind of impurity and greediness. In other words, they live under autonomy. Their own government, they govern themselves, which is bound for destruction. Watchman Nee stated it this way, unless we bring heavenliness into our dwellings, into our offices, our shops, kitchens, and practice it there, it will be without meaning. We've got to take godliness in our walk because it's who we are. We've got to order our behavior or better, let God order our behavior in our walk. It's what he wants to do in each and every one of us. <laughs> I love watching Nee because he, he takes it in his book, Sit, Walk, and Stand, he takes it a little bit further. He says this. He, he speaks to parents. If you're a parent in here, he's speaking to you right now. He says, may I suggest this, dear friends, that those who are parents and those who are children look through the New Testament to see what parents should be and children should be. We may be surprised for our fear. Many of us who say we are seated in the heavenliness in Christ display a very questionable walk in our homes. And husbands, too, and wives, there are quite a number of passages for them. Read Ephesians 5 and then turn to 1 or possibly 7. It would do every husband and every wife good to read the latter chapter carefully to, to discover what a real married life, a spiritual one before God, and not just in theory, demands. You dare not theorize about a thing that is so practical. He's saying God gives instruction because God is absolute truth. Now, I can just make all kinds of tension with that in our walk in Christ. We're not going to discipline our children because we believe in the sovereignty of God. Look, I know two pastors. That's exactly how they raise their kids. No discipline because we believe in the sovereignty of God. In other words, predestination to its fullest. We are tulip in our theology and now that's let me just say that's that that <laughs> they believed in predestination it's predestined anyway it's predetermined so we believe in the sovereignty of god and let me say this church you do too there are areas of your life that you believe in the sovereignty of god that his will and his way will ultimately win out we believe in that Right? But when he calls us to a walk, he's saying, hey, but you have responsibility to sit, to walk, to stand. 
That's, that's me working within you. You see, God disciplines those whom he loves is what Hebrews teaches us. If we don't discipline our children believing solely upon the sovereignty of God, I can tell you how their children wound up. I'm not going to because I, I hurt for them. I hurt for them. But, but here's the truth. We are called, and this is what Watchman Nee is saying, hey, pay attention to absolute truth in your life. See, what we show outward, outwardly is what was first put into us by Christ. How we live our lives outwardly should be from our experience of sitting with and in Christ. Too many of us are caught acting as Christians. The life of many Christians today is largely a pretense. They live in a spiritual life, talk a spiritual language, adopt spiritual attitudes, but they are doing the whole things themselves. It is the effort involved that should reveal to them that something is wrong. I love this. The Chinese cannot speak a language that is not their own. We as Christians shouldn't speak a language that is not first our own. See, nothing is so hurtful in the life of a Christian as acting. Nothing so blessed as when our outward efforts cease and our attitudes become natural. In other words, it's dangerous to the world to be a hypocrite. Now, we could all, and we all are, hypocrites to some degree. Here's why. Because there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. And depending on the choices we make, they're choices that are based upon the flesh and the spirit. Now, I would love to say that we're so spiritual that we would never, we would never tend to, to, to be in the natural, to be in the flesh. But that's not necessarily true because that battle takes place within us, and we all know this if, if we're honest. And part of it, I, I believe this, part of that battle brings us to a place of humility where we can say, I can't do this on my own. I preached a sermon years ago at Wolferth, and the title of it was, I Quit. And I've never been a quitter. <laughs> but the title was, I Quit, because when we quit, trying in our own strength, it, it allows greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. It, allow us, it allows us then to be strong in the Lord and not be so hypocritical in our own lives. Warren Wiersbe says this, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. Abraham Lincoln, I thought of this quote the other day when we were driving back from San Antonio. I had to go back and look it up to see exactly how he said it, but he's speaking of the hypocrite. And he says, the man who murdered both his parents and yet pleaded for mercy on the grounds that he was an orphan. Now, I just, I just talked about children and how, how we as children should honor, right? I, I mean, I was going back, to, going back to Watchman Nee here, but Watchman Nee, he, he says, hey, there's great instruction in Scripture for parents and for children, children, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long upon this earth. We are called to honor. Now, now here's what Abraham Lincoln's saying. He's saying, hey, there are those out there that, that claim the victim status, and yet they murdered their own parents. And he says, the man who murdered both parents yet pleads for mercy on the grounds that he is an orphan is a hypocrite. Now listen to me, church. This is Veterans Day. 
I don't, I don't mind getting right in the middle of this. 52 of the 54 forefathers of our country were Orthodox Christians. They didn't do it right because there were some fleshly things that happened, no doubt. I wouldn't want to go back to those days, but today we stand at a risk of losing the very freedoms by not honoring those who have gone before. It happens throughout our life. We can't, we can't play the victim status. we got to say, no, God, thank you. It's like Milton said last week, we have won a lottery by being born in the United States in order to serve the world. Now, how do we do this? How do we walk in the Lord? The first thing is, is to know something that I think is very important. As you grow in the Lord, if you're not, if you're not careful we'll still want to do things in our own strength. If you've been delivered from a sin, what do you hate most? The sin you were delivered from. Ask an alcoholic. An alcoholic, he or she will tell you, hey, I, I hate that stuff. And sometimes what happens, we not just hate it, we, we, we hate that sin that we finally overcame in our life, right? It becomes the enemy, and then anyone who participates in it can become the enemy as well. We can do this in, in and with anything. Oh, we finally overcame uh, lust in our life, and yet a couple has an affair. Oh, my gosh, you know what they've done? I mean, geez, they should know better than to do that. I mean, how long have they been in church? I mean, can you believe? And, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You've never lusted? You know, see, if we're not careful, we'll become judges like that as we grow in the Lord. It, it's so odd to me how that works. Lucifer himself, he, he, he did well. There was no one who brought praises to the Lord like Lucifer he winds up in the heavenlies with, with, a, with a heavenly angelic choir that sings praises. He was decorated. He was all these things, but he became autonomous, wanting this self-government. He became prideful. He became judgmental, and eventually he judged the very God who gave him the position to walk in his calling. See, there are just and unjust. There's no doubt. Philippians 2.10, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, until we are willing for God to work, work it in, it is useless for us to try to work it out. Man, that's good. Who wrote that? Until we are willing for God to work it in, it is useless for us to try to work it out. We too often find faults in others, demanding more of them than we do ourselves. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves becoming preoccupied, preoccupied with what is and what is not right. We are then attempting to vindicate our actions. Mother Teresa stated it this way, If you judge people, you have no time to love them. It is right for some, or is it right for someone to strike me on the cheek? Definitely not. But the question might be, do you only want to do what's right? Our standard of living should not be one of right or wrong, but it should be the cross. The cross wasn't fair. His righteousness for my sin. We can't do this from a place of the flesh. The flesh calls for fairness. The spirit calls for redemption. 
Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other, even as God also in Christ forgave you. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he did not do so to defend our rights. Our goal is to be conformed with and in Christ. Guys, I tell you, when I wrote that, that's so challenging for me. Alice and I, it's funny because uh, when we went to, uh, we went on a four-day retreat weekend, we would say, um, it's known as a marriage intensive. I thought it was going to be a retreat. And so while we're there, uh, you have to do all these psychological evals, just find out how crazy you really, you know, all this stuff. (laughs) And so we're there and we're going through this thing and um, we're learning, you know, from the therapist and all these. And and, uh, look, I, I would encourage you to go, go. All right, you find some things out about you and your spouse and some other things. But as we were there, here's what, here's what our psychologist said. She said, now, the interesting thing about you two is your affection for one another. Because y'all really do love one another. And the reason why I think it's interesting is because both of y'all score extremely high on just, on the judgmental, on fairness where normally that creates tension in a marriage because marriage is not what? Fair. Look, if you're not married, you don't know this. You just think, oh, one day I'm going to fall in love. This is going to be wonderful. She's going to be so right. She's going to follow me around. She's going to believe in everything I say. Okay, good. (laughs) But when this gets on this finger... There are going to be times that she's going to say, I've been at work all day, and you were off today, and why aren't the dishes done? That's not what? Fair. It's my right to take the afternoon off. You had the whole day off. And so it was interesting because we were like, well, we've had those conversations. (laughs) You know, we just chose not to let those dictate who we are. You see, even though we were yet sinners, Christ died, Christ forgave us. We've got to measure things to the cross. He didn't do this to defend our rights. Because if he did, then we would just be concerned with what's right or wrong. Our goal is conformity with Christ. So as we look at how to process this, the first thing we we need to see is how Jesus said to process this. We learn to abide in him. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, in in other words, he who will sit with me and listen to me and be encouraged by me and see the call, see the vision from the heavenlies that I'm willing to give him or her. See that. If you'll abide in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Now to me, this is where art really played out because he could see the need and what he had been called to. He needed to be empowered. And when he learned to sit with the Lord, Not only was he empowered to fulfill the vision that God called him to walk into, but he was empowered to overcome the very sin that that he wanted to to overcome. See, God will perfect every person as he or she abides 
in him. The Apostle Paul stated it this way, we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's at work perfecting us in his call. The third thing is, look, don't be, this is the third and final thing, but don't be frustrated if you feel like, man, I just can't seem, seem to untrack. And growing up, we had dirt roads. We lived six miles from, from the highway. And so when a big rains, back in, in that day and time, it would rain a lot at times. Sometimes five and six inch rains actually happened here. I mean, it's right after the flood. Noah, you know, and, 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 and it was just a lot of, but, but here's what, what, what would happen. Eventually, um, there would be what we called ruts made in the road. And, and my dad, he just believed that forget the ruts, you got to get out of the ruts. And in order to do that, you got to drive 50 or 60 down a muddy road. And just straddle them, you know, and just keep, because we had two-wheel drive vehicles back then. I mean, it, it was in, it, anyway, so as we'd fly down, right, but he believed you had to get out of the ruts. Now, you may be frustrated today because your road has been muddy, and, and there are a lot of ruts in the road, and you're trying to say, hey, can I get out? If I get out, I get a little sideways. Well, look, you got to learn to walk. I don't know of a child that doesn't learn how to walk. They, they generally don't just pop up and say, all right, I'm going to go get the mail. Um, I'll see you here in a little bit. You know, it's not, it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, children kind of bobble. They have to hold themselves up standing. They walk a little ways. They follow you. Encourage them. They get back up. They walk a little ways. They fall. Learn to walk. See, we sit forever with Christ that we, that we may walk continuously before mankind. We sit forever with Christ that we may walk continuously before mankind. Forsake for a moment our place of rest in him and look and immediately we are tripped and our testimony in the world is marred if we forget to sit if we forget to rest in him and i'll tell you this our world is at such a pace that that that's what it's looking for the prince of the air as ephesians puts it the prince of the air the demons that are out, if they could steal anything, they would steal your time because if they can get your time, you will no longer sit. You'll simply try to walk without his power. I mean, even in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, when, when Jesus gives the great commission, right? When, when Jesus is saying, hey, you're about to go out into all the world. I mean, I know it's, it, 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 he's, he's, he's getting ready for his ascension, but in Acts chapter 1, it's interesting to me how, how Jesus puts it. He says, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses. In Samaria, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. Then you will be. Sit with me so that I can empower you to walk out there. If we forsake that, we run a risk. Abide in Christ and we are empowered to walk in him and have fruit in our life. Ask and it will be given to you. Isn't that a blessing? Blessed. Now, 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 when we walk it out, just know that it might look a little bit different. I, I'm a just person. I'm, I'm pretty black and white on things. God has really had to work on me. Read Matthew 5 through 7 because it looks so different. It's such a challenge to me. I'm still trying to get there, church. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say things about you. Rejoice. I generally don't rejoice. Did you say that about me? We got 72 hours to clean that up. 
Jesus says, you are the salt, but if the salt loses its saltiness, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill. Am I? You have heard it was said, you shall not murder, but if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. Lord Jesus, settle matters quickly within 72 hours. It doesn't say that, but it says, Jesus did say, settle matters quickly with your adversary. He went on to say, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman commits adultery. It's not easy. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If one slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other. If anyone wants your shirt, give them your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Now, I would love to unpack all of this and, 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 and what I believe he, he means, what the theologians believe that Jesus means when he's talking about the Romans and, and what this looks like in your life. Because it was difficult for them. Because they saw themselves as victims. And yet the creator of it all stood there in their midst and said, oh, if you could just see what I see. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. See, walking it out is not easy, but it's necessary. I don't know how many people have come to Jesus because someone didn't retaliate. Instead said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to choose to walk in the power of God, not in the power of my flesh. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. It's not easy. Unless you sit with the Lord, we are called to be expressions of Christ in all that we do. And unless we sit with the Lord, we cannot neglect that. It's, it's difficult to walk. At best, to take many steps. M-I-N-I. Instead of many steps. M-A-N-Y. See, this is why Jesus states, in order to find life, we must lose it. We must learn to order our behavior to the behavior of Christ. How will we know what our Father has done if we don't spend time with the Father? Or what our Father is doing if we don't spend time to watch, to grow? Mother Teresa said the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love, walking it out in love. For God is love. Anything less than that is not God. We walk in His love. Where are you today? How about this question? How is your walk with Him?